Hey folks, I just wanted to let you know as we go into this episode that my audio is going to be rather garbled. We tried a new technology to try and uh, make the actual process of creating the podcast easier, and it came out rather garbled and echoey, which uh, stinks. I did a lot of post-processing, but I couldn't really fix it. Um, what you'll find is that next week it'll go back to normal, but we decided that the conversation was good enough to run with this anyway. Thank you for bearing with our technical difficulties. Welcome once more to the season finale of the ridiculous, rambunctious, vulgar, and unfunny Ampersand and Sons. My name is Neil Daly, and with me, as ever, is our fellow co-host, Julian Finn, the nicest man in Canada. Hello, Neil! How are you? I am uh, very tired after an 8,300-word 8, review. It's okay. I uh, I appreciate that you put that kind of effort in. I didn't read it because <laughs> I I read the summary of the review on Facebook, and I'm going to quote for the audience so that they can go into this relieved that you finally enjoyed an episode. Um, because at Neil Daly says a lot of lost potential here, but still a solid foundation to build something from. If you know they actually pick up the hammer. So I mean, Neil, I'm I'm happy to see that uh, your your eight thousand something words were basically crafted to tell us that you liked this episode. That's the takeaway. Well, and the, I, I I learned something about the internet that I already knew, but I relearned it with childlike innocence that um that people will read people will read the headline and draw conclusions. Without doing the reading, um, I, I've, I've, because um, I got a lot of people like I agree with this review. It was a great episode, and if you actually read my evisceration, uh, so you know it's fine though because it's not like um, it's not like uh, it matters whether people like or don't like the review necessarily. Because that doesn't really change anything for me. <laughs> I, just, I just thought that that was. The uh, the cleverest possible way to frame that review. Yes, well, Steve is Steve is unrelentingly positive, and that's one of the things that I love about him. Um, I, will, I will comb through this, and I will find one sentence that could possibly be positive and generate comments that don't start with "I didn't read this." But well, I just I had a discussion with Steve in the middle of the season. He's like, maybe you could start off writing something positive. Um, about the show, and I was like, "That's that's that's a fair point, you know. Maybe I should, and that's why I've always made it a point in the reviews, even the ones that are one of fives, to have a little blurb where I'm like, um, where I'm like, uh, this is the positive thing, this is the thing I like, and there were things in this episode that I did like, um, just very many, 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 many more things that I did not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before we dive in, let's do some uh, some nerd news. Uh, you told me earlier today that you uh, watched the terrible, pandering, uh, woke Masters of the Universe remake. Uh, uh, it, 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 well, maybe, maybe not that. I did watch a competent cartoon about um, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, but was it? Was it? <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing wrong with that at all. It was. Um, there were a couple of choices that were bold. That uh, and, and I'm going to spoil here so people deal with it. It's been out a couple of weeks. Um, the 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 well, no, I won't spoil because I don't have to. They kill a couple of main characters, I can say, and we what? already spoiled what? on here that they what? kill him. 
Yeah, yeah. They, well, they, the, the, the death of He-Man, which is not the death of He-Man. Um, <laughs> like, anyone who knows story knows that that's not the death of He-Man. But there were a couple of other deaths that were really... Um, that were really unexpected. But the, the, the thing about the show is that the, the fundamental premise of the arc is that death is impermanent in Eternia. So they're clearly setting themselves up. For, and it's like the thing when like, like people phoned in death threats because they, they killed Captain America. Oh no, he's never coming back. Not in a not, serial soap opera. Not to mention, even when death is permanent in a property, when you firmly so this this show did the opposite of what um the golden compass did and and what uh uh his dark materials is doing far better so the deaths in i remember seeing that movie and then i went and read the books i'd never read them before and they're brilliant um but the deaths in that movie felt way more awful than any deaths I'd ever seen in any movie prior to that. Because when somebody's familiar dies, if, if, if people are unfamiliar uh, with the, uh, <laughs> the series, uh, it takes place in a universe where people's souls are external to them um, and are represented by talking animals. And when a person dies, their familiar, which is their soul, is extinguished it turns into ash and disappears and that makes the deaths feel far heavier than than in any movie i've ever seen before it's permanent um so this show or, or masters of the universe does the opposite because they establish really firmly that there is an Eternian afterlife that you can go to and see all your friends and they're all there. <laughs> when you confirm that in narrative, the deaths lose all weight. Yes. Like when Well, that's that but when he dies the second time, I'm like, oh no, he's going back to the afterlife where he's going to be forever. <laughs> Well, it's very, it's very Valhalla or Ragnarok, and it's, it's kind of fits with the Eternian ethic, and, and it, it, but the whole thing was a love letter. All of the like seeing Moss Man and Scareglow. I have my Scareglow in a box twenty feet from where I'm yeah. sitting. Yeah. Like actually making Scareglow, Scareglow have a significance, and um, getting you know hero and showing um, you know like giving giving it added layers. If anything, showing that the castle was actually a repository, and there was a yeah, lot no, of good stuff in it there. It was it was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope there's a second season. The loving care that they put into, say, stuff like the uh, the castle, just giving it another wrinkle. They add layers to the mythos instead of removing it, and none of it seems disrespectful. Disrespectful, and all of it seems in line. Like the idea that this marriage of technology and magic would then develop a cult of technology when the magic deserted them, and that all of the weak-willed villains would be behind it. Yeah. Absolutely on point. Absolutely yeah. on point. That these lackeys without a skeletor would be desperate for anything, and some of them would be like, "Can I follow you, He Man? You know, or can I follow you, Tila?" Um, and the uh, the magician lady, she was the one with the cabinet, I think, in the original series. Like uh, the, the the old lady, I recognized her. There was there were lots of deep cuts that if you watch the cartoon a lot as a child, you're sitting there like, "Oh wow!" And but you know, no, you're googling Neil Bailey. Neil Bailey, the the internet assures me that 
what we can learn from that show that the second Netflix He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon is going to rectify is that yes. Smith was never a fan of the original cartoon and probably no of course not yeah because it's awful yes this this man with more money than he possibly needs took this project just to destroy it out of the pure spite in his heart yeah there was a there was a debate uh that was uh brought up um on the uh on the, the message boards and um i have a mia culpa um because the, i don't know if this person wants their username cited but you know who you are um and i'll mention it next time if you do just let me know but they were, there was a talk about the, uh, whether this was aimed at kids or not, and I was dead wrong. Um, I, I basically, um, I essentially um, suggested that it was for kids and that um, anyone who thought it wasn't was wrong. And then I saw the actual for kids version um, and, and, and I was like, ah, yeah, no, I was dead wrong. But um, the other thing, too, was like there was a conversation about whether Tila was appropriate. And honestly, I can't remember many of the details, but I did do a lot of thinking about it, um, you know, what the varying positions were. But like the idea was that I think the complaint is that Tila is not Tila because she was sexy before. You could fall in love with her before because she looked like a princess. And now she just looks like she looks so butch or however they want to frame it. Right. Um, because she's got muscles now, a woman with muscles, right? And uh, there was the argument over whether or not there was male gaze going on. And uh, I thought about it a lot, and I was like, well, what is male gaze? Male gaze is when it's uh, when when the camera is designed to titillate the viewer um, in a way that is very objectifying, as I understand. Yeah, when, be wrong. when, and it's, uh, when Garjo does her uh, infamous thighs around the neck uh, yes. super hold maneuver, and as, right. and she's, as she's swinging around the dude's head, the camera goes to slow-mo mode just as her butt passes by the lens. That's male gaze. Yes, and I think, I think the only reason that one still flies is there's not a woman that I know that doesn't immediately also look at that in the same way a guy goes and goes, what? But, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like the Angelina Jolie or Chris Hemsworth principle. It's like you just... It will convert people to the other team in a matter of seconds. But, but kidding aside, um, there's the the. I look at this Tila, and 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 when I was a kid, I fell in love with Tila because I was five, and you fall in love with the princess when you're five, and a and a heteronormative dude in a lot of ways, right? But that was just very innocent. There was nothing to it. Yeah. And then I grew up, right, and became attracted to women in the traditional way. And then Tila, of course, does nothing for me. Um, because you can be attracted to cartoons. There's a really weird thing about that. People don't like to admit that, but you know, people have been drawing pornography since the ancient Romans. It, it, you know, this is a thing to discuss, and it matters, right? Because yeah. you, you know, like people, what people are attracted to is an important way we frame our, our our psychology and our and our cognition. But anyway, so to get to the point, looking at Tila absolutely unattractive to me in the traditional way. Like I look at the pretty, pretty princess and I think, look at that landed aristocracy right there who would sooner grind me under her boot and treat me as a servant than a human being. That is about as attractive to me as a wet fart. Right. Yeah. And then I see this new Tila, right. And, and I'm not attracted to the cartoon, but in terms of like, whether that's more attractive than the other Tila on an analytical level. Yes. I like a strong woman. I am not afraid of a strong woman. Competence is attractive to me and what? you know yeah i know right and hair not in a bun hair shared shaved on the side in the punk style you know like 
yeah right and um and and you know wearing pants so all right so there's the thing about wearing pants and attraction right like it used to be that wearing pants was a way to hide something and now everybody's seen everything and you know you watch a Nicki minaj video and you've seen everything right it holds no mystery anymore now it's more interesting to see someone fully clothed and wonder what's underneath yeah but that's my preference, right? So, but my preference, I'm sure, differs from your preference, right? So what I'm driving at, the entire point of that, if the thing is like, oh, they made her attractive, to whom exactly? Yeah. Like, 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 who are you speaking to that other than like the people who have some really weird, really fixed, fixed definition of what attractive is? Yeah. Well, and you know what? It's all a moot point anyway, because as we were saying before you uh, damaged our recording earlier, uh, yeah. far better He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon right around the corner on September 13th in a trailer. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Like a mix of, like I, I mentioned it before, it'll probably still make it in the recording, but yeah, a mix of uh, like Troll Hunter and uh and rebels and also every bad kindergarten cartoon made out of cg that i saw when milo was a little kid like word party and dinosaur train and it hit my nostalgia bone hard because it looks like a combination of um troll hunters you're right and reboot yeah well it just looks it Okay, I, I don't mean this disparagingly. It's going to sound... It just looks terrible to me, like, not for me. Like, so out of my wheelhouse, it'd be, like, K-pop, you know? Like, and... and, and yeah. No offense if you like K-pop. It's just, like, absolutely not my thing. Like, yeah. um, to, like listening to songs about getting drunk on the weekend and, 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 and snorting cocaine. Yeah, okay, I see the whole genre. Go for it. But um, <laughs> but not for me, right? So then we have this, this Masters of the Universe cartoon that is just absolutely not for me. And I'm thinking, oh, God. And I show it to Milo in the way that we do ampersand and sons where I show it and I don't commentate. And I'm like, well, what do you think, son? And he watches it and he's like, that's so awesome. I want to see that so bad. Will you watch that with me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I realize, Oh, I have made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I, got, I got a somewhat more refined version of the same from Ben. He's super jazzed for that. Yeah. Well, you know, Good. Let the kids like what they like. And if I don't like it, well, then I'm, they're probably doing it right. Cause uh, like, um, it's going one out of five, one out of five. Yes. Well, what's that? What's that? Pretty much. What's that Frank, uh, Frank Turner line about, uh, uh hacking off your parents, makes them grow up big and strong. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so today we also got a new trailer for the Eternals and it's the first one that's made me actually think that, I mean, I don't know why I doubt at this point that Marvel is going to stick the landing in a movie. That seems like a weird choice. Um, yeah, I like that trailer too. It's the first one that made me go, "Oh, I might actually want to watch this because of the Eternals and because of uh, seeing the the a little bit more um, of a summary. Like I know what it's about now a little bit." Yeah. Um, Rob yeah, Stark, wasn't bad. Rob Stark is in it. I'm excited for that. Breaking. Tape. I didn't even notice Rob Stark. Like I, I, I know he's in there, but I missed him entirely. I was too it's, busy looking at the celestial. Scene, the scene in the trailer, and frankly, folks, I don't care that we're spoiling a trailer. Like this is just at this point. If you haven't watched it, you didn't go on YouTube today, and I'm sorry. Um, the scene at the end. I mean, he's he's the main protagonist throughout the trailer, but he really sticks out in the scene at the end, right after the uh, title card comes up where he's like, oh, this is a fantastic safe house you've built here. And he smashes the table. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's him? That's him. Oh, okay. Dark, yeah. 
That makes sense. Well, he's a little frightened. And now our watch is over. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a little frightened to enter my brain right now because Ellie had never seen Game of Thrones and we binged through almost all of the first six seasons in the last two weeks. Oh, okay. So you, you both are attracted to dragon porn then. I see how it is. We are, we are, we are. <laughs> I, I like it for its historical value as a mostly true to real life telling of the uh, Wars of the Roses. I don't mind it at all. I watched it twice. I just, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like everyone's like, Oh, it's, it's, it's um, like the people treat it like high fiction or not high fiction. That's even a bad way to phrase it. It, They they treat it like, uh, like the literature of TV. Um, And no, that's, that's an exclusive domain. This is not a part of, this is just entertaining good television. Yeah. There's a difference. Ellie, Ellie just texted me to say that she likes the uh, pornographic bits. (laughs) (laughs) shall we shall we tackle the subject of our podcast the season finale of uh superman and lois oh i guess we have to it's it's uh, in the contract uh we uh have to so incredibly happy that it's your turn to summarize because i don't want to for this episode well so uh superman resolves the problem of the eradicator with the aid of everyone in the super family in ways that might surprise you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There is, there is resolution to many storylines in ways you would not expect. Um, (laughs) Kyle comes through in a key moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Reputation in town. It could, that's right. Um, and um, let's see. Uh, a, a surprise uh, arrival uh, heralds a new era in the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to put you in the hot seat here. Do it. So I, I did read the review. Um, mm. It was lovely and delightful and uh, had slightly fewer plot holes in it than the episode that it was about. So kudos on that. <laughs> um, yeah, I like I like shouting background disembodied voice quite a lot. I use him too much. <laughs> um, so you and I talked earlier and what I said was and I'm, and I'm going to repeat this for the audience, and I stand by this, is I had a good time with this episode because I realized two things, which is, one, when a show, for a majority of the time that it's on, makes the same mistakes and errors and chooses sloppy writing over tight writing... That's what the show is. It, it's not, it's not the, the first few episodes that we got are basically like a first date, right? Chris Rock says this uh, in Bigger and Blacker where he says, you know, like, you don't meet anybody on the first date. You meet their representative. You meet their press agent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like they're being on their absolute best behavior. They're uh, minding their P's and Q's. They don't talk politics if they're smart. And that's what we got with the first four episodes of this show. We got we got a please love me um, combination of all of the things that this show could do. And then the show became what the show was, which was silly, pulpy fun, 
that was far more Superman focused than, you know, farm life, small family, tackling the issues of how Superman is as a father, um, caring about making Lois compelling as a character in her own right, not having her say weird just drawing a random example out of my out of my hat things like do i have to call my father um to <laughs> so she could beat a prisoner so she could beat a prisoner yeah, no, that's and get no information yeah um so i've come to terms with the fact that the show just is what the show is and it's when it's going to write things in a way that is tight and cohesive and follow from what we've seen before and actually be um, peak TV, that's an accident. What it wants to be is a Superman story, which led me to my second realization, which is I love the character Superman. I love that character. In my life, I can only think of a very small handful of Superman stories in any medium that actually rise to the level of what I would call good. On an yes, because Superman is the, the big marquee character and everybody likes to do their drive-by on him to say that they've done Superman. Um, but for most people, it seems to be that this is blanks Superman instead of Superman. Yeah. They put themselves before the character so that they can profit off of Superman. And it's very rare to see them subsumed. It's one of the things that made the death of all the way to Dominus era so important to me is that it wasn't necessarily about Bog and Grummet and um, all of the creators that were involved, though you knew their names right. um, at, at times, it was uh, it was that it was one cohesive story and Superman was the focus and the, the following him was the drama. But even so, you're, you're right. Other than Superman, the movie, which has some issues, um, but stands up really well 40 years later. Um, other than other than that, you have a situation where. Um, you know, there are very few things that are that are like you can't call many stories seminal for Superman. And right. also we were discussing this a little bit. You have um, we haven't really had a really great Superman show. Yeah. We've had a really great we've had a really great Clark Kent growing up show. Well, no, we, we've had a growing up Clark Kent show that was passable. <laughs> yes. We've had a Superman show that was you know, at the time, a lot of fun because it was the first one that kind of went along the lines of the comics uh, uh, with, with Lois and Clark, but in retrospect, it does not hold up very well. You know what holds um, up better than that is the uh, Superman or Superboy TV show from the 80s that was produced by the Salkins. Yeah, 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 it's it's weird. That and, and even Adventures, uh, the original, like, hold, yeah. holds up pretty well, but it's very, it's very episodic. There's no, but so that's the thing. Now, this is, I, I think, the best Superman show that we've had, right? But at the same time, it is not a great show for the era of peak TV. No, um, it's, it's, it is, it's the best Superman show. That, and, and, and here's the thing, and this is kind of the point that I was driving towards. The only other character or, or person that I enjoy stories about as much as Superman is King Arthur. And similarly... There aren't very many good King Arthur stories, but I will consume every single one of them. <laughs> right? like, yeah, they do the King Under the Mountain trope. I've been following that a lot in research. Um, I've I've watched 
what was it? Uh, Guy Ritchie is King Arthur like three times. It is a pile of crap as a King Arthur yeah. story, but it's a fun movie. Uh, First Night is a absolute <laughs> crap King Arthur story, but it's a fun movie, and I'll go back and rewatch. Has there been a good King Arthur other than Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Excalibur. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, it's great. It still holds up. Um, it was young Julian's first experience with, uh, dragon porn. Uh, <laughs> Lens flare before JJ Abrams. Yeah. It was also my first experience, uh, to the, the magical phrase that would have more meaning for me when I watched evil dead. And then, uh, later, uh, the day the earth stood still Klaatu Verada Nikto, because that's the spell <laughs> when they're, uh, <laughs> smuggling Uther into uh, the Cornwall's castle so he can steal Egrain. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I I chose to sit down and watch the season finale of Superman and Lois through the lens of, I love this character. This show is not what it promised it was going to be, but that's okay. It's still the best Superman TV show we've got. And in a lot of ways, it's better than the last two Superman movies we got. And so I'm just going to enjoy it. And you know what? Aside from a few incredibly stupid moments where it was almost like the writers were on purpose trying to make me angry and ruin that bubble of enjoyment, I enjoyed it. Like you, you, despite your high praise and the summary for your review, which kind of feels like a, a which <laughs> um, you, uh, you gave it a one. I would give this a solid three. It, it like, for what it was. Now, my beef is it confirmed for me that we absolutely 100% did not need these last three episodes. Yes. I, I think I probably would have given it a three as well if I had not slowed it down. That's one of the things is like this episode more than any other, and like many finales in Smallville and other, uh, other shows of its ilk, does the magic, uh, the magician's trick, the, uh, the follow the, um, the find the queen, you know, find the lady. Um, what it does is it goes so fast that you don't stop to think about anything. But my job of course is to stop and think about everything. So what I, Hmm. I said, what? Yeah, no, I know. Go figure a review, uh, closely regards the, the material in question. And the thing is, if you look at this pound for pound, I've got my notebook right here somewhere. If you look at this pound for pound, I had four pages of notes. The average bad episode has three. The average good episode has one and a half to two. And, um, there were so many continuity errors in this episode um, if you were paying any attention and I didn't even scratch the surface of the deeper issues, I just looked at the great, the, the great big A to B to C, this doesn't follow l along the lines of Listen, the lowest thing. You don't get to call foul on continuity errors because I found one in your review, Neil Bailey. Oh, did you? What, what was it? Did I, did I say that, um, that I, uh, found Tila attractive when she was wearing that headband or? No, no. It was right after you said you were going to call your daddy. Um, no. So... <laughs> yeah. I'd never call my father. He's a giant, uh, giant reprobate. <laughs> he, he simultaneously reaffirmed for me a thing that I had long suspected, which is that everybody in Smallville who was floating with the egg 
four episodes ago or five episodes ago definitely still has powers because they have not established any way to remove the powers post X case. So they confirmed that and then ignored the ramifications of that in uh, Superman's speech in front of the camera near the end where he's explaining uh, what happened to the Smallville residents. And he explicitly says the phrase, there's a special mineral here that gives them powers like the, the X. Yeah separate from the consciousness implantation they made that choice so it's real now and well there's that weird beat too like like does the eradicator change any of these properties does the eradicator not and they never really explain it and yet lois is able to draw conclusions it's just a big sloppy mess yeah and, and the eradicator without xk is able to change people that haven't been exposed to xk into full kryptonian super beings and, and it takes away your personality, but nobody loses their personality. Literally nobody, uh, yeah. except for the dude who died. Yeah. So <laughs> He has no personality anymore. <laughs> here's, the plot, here's the plot hole. You called out dead, not AI, clearly an actual consciousness, Jor-El. Right. For lying to them about the potential of Jordan, etc., yeah, didn't they say he had no genetic capacity to have powers or something? Right, but here's the thing. If the Eradicator was able to give powers to other people via whatever the Eradicator does while it's imbuing consciousness into them, then the Eradicator somehow must be simultaneously simultaneously be dosing them with XK or they wouldn't be able to have powers because the show states that the powers come from the XK, which means when Jordan got... Uh, Malfoy L shoved up him. He also got the same XK treatment and now just has regular full Kryptonian powers because of it. That, uh, well, he flew. Yeah. We know that. Right? Um, that was post-possession and that was post-being eradicated. Was it? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, which means his powers weren't necessarily something that Jor-El knew about because he was eradicated. And also that there's a bunch of small town red dicks with the power of Superman. Like 50 <laughs> of them. Yeah. Grandma, you done with them ribs? My eyes can only go so fast, Cletus. And, and, you, know what, <laughs> you know what? That's that's where I came to with this show, right? Is, okay, like, this stuff that they're doing is basically the Chewbacca defense. Like, <laughs> it, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Well, they also, uh, even if they are all Kryptonians, they completely eliminated the threat of Kryptonians because they've had, what, 16 Kryptonians and an entire crowd of Kryptonians attacking Superman, and they're all just, you know, annihilated by a missile. <laughs> There's a, All those soldiers are taken out by one missile. Superman is not. Go figure. Well, uh, <laughs> and I mean, here's the other thing, and the comics have made this clear in the past to varying degrees when it is or isn't valuable to the plot. And uh, Man of Steel actually did a good job with this. Um, just suddenly being in the presence of Yellow Sun as a Kryptonian doesn't make you Superman. It's a gradual effect from absorption of solar energy. Yeah, sure. But you know what? That that also requires being established, especially if these are military generals of the Defense Council. 
Um, like you, you would think that Superman, even though he's got a lot of combat experience at this point, would have you know like these generals presumably would know the because if they went to Earth, they must know the properties that they would have on Earth and be able to study it and understand it and perhaps witness it. Well, um, I mean, who can who say? knows? Who can say? And well, seems, yeah, and they will never say. It seems more important for them to know what the current calendars of these people say the number of revolutions around the sun is. <laughs> like, this show just does weird beats. And, like, I, I, I've, you get to a point where you either have to be okay with the fact that the show is doing weird beats and just go, okay, cool, I'm still getting the best Superman show that I'm ever going to see. Or you fly up its butt and tear apart every single inconsistency. Like, I just... It, it wore me down, man. Like, this 15 episodes wore down my ability to want to tear it to pieces. And I finally landed in a place where I was like, I'm just going to enjoy this Superman story, except for the five or six spots where it just does something so catastrophically dumb that I can't. Well, that's that's part of why I'm considering not doing the review anymore. There's, there's no. multiple elements to that. Do the review. Let's What's that? Do the review. Well, it's... I, I read it's, it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's it's not like you're you're right. It, I, I went on a date with this show and it represented itself as as peak TV. And then I got to like the fifth or the sixth date and it's like just staying over at my house at night and not doing any of the dishes and uh, it doesn't seem garbage, to really like me. It's got garbage credit and you've just discovered that it doesn't believe in daily showers. Yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's watching that Masters of the Universe cartoon while high. And, you know, like, and like, it gaslights the crap out of you, and then you find out that it voted Trump, and it's just like, it's, yeah, like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and kind of it did. I mean, but you look at this so show, and the way that they're treating the Cushings like they're the second coming, you know, after all that awful stuff, and, oh, the town made us do this, but you know? It still looks really good in a sundress. That's true. That's true. I mean, like, uh, and, and, you know, I, there is a whole, um, there is a whole, uh, kind of, uh, appeal to dating crazy, you know, like, <laughs> like it ends bad. You get run over by a car, you know, um, and, and all the neighbors hear your screaming fights, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm um, with you there. Cause you're, you're currently talking to a man whose <laughs> who soon-to-be ex-wife has found so many different ways of making the phrase, at least it can't get any worse, not true. Um, yeah, well, so did Smallville, you know? Like, I guess this is really a question. So that's that's my dilemma. It's not the, uh, I, I don't think it's the response or the lack of response that's really getting to me so much as, uh, and it's not even the, can I tool on this forever and still have my moral core intact because i honestly am not as passionate about it as the character neil that writes these reviews is by necessity and by the function of its uh its very purpose but um the question is um more like in smallville i always kind of held out hope that it would uh kind of fulfill the promise of its premise it did. and this show it, it, no but but this show is <laughs> this show is going to well he did he did open his shirt 
he did open his shirt once. Austin Miller went off to make the cinematic masterpiece, The Mummy 3. Um, <laughs> in the sixth season, out of ten? Instead of finishing their their masterwork, and they, they turned it off, or they handed it off to people that actually liked comic books, it, <laughs> it didn't actually suddenly become quality, but it became fun. Yeah, it was, well, it was definitely, um, it definitely embraced what it was. Boy, yeah, the Goff and Miller thing. Wow, boy, it, like, I don't know if I've ever publicly told the story. I can now because who gives a crap? But like, uh, we got a nasty gram from either. I think it was. It, I think it was Goff. Like, like in the middle of my reviews, uh, like you tell that Garth if he doesn't like the show, not to watch it. <laughs> and it seems like. Who could possibly be meant by Garth? <laughs> and like, maybe he got my name wrong, you know? Like, because there's no one at the Superman homepage called Garth. So anyway, we did those stupid reviews, uh, the stupid video reviews. I did those stupid video reviews where I would act the fool and post it on YouTube. And I'm glad they've disappeared entirely. But that's one of the reasons why there's this bit when I do the, the riff on season three, why where I kneel in the dirt and Garth lights up in flames with white gasoline. And you have no idea how long that special effect took to, to, to make. <laughs> but but I, I think I think that um, that Goff and Miller had one intention, which was to tell the story of Superman as a younger man. And uh, they <laughs> they went to tell he was 24 because, you know, um, they like money. Um, <laughs> and that was unfortunate. But I still thought up to probably season seven, they might be like, yeah, we're going to end this and we're going to spend a season wrapping it up. And I really earnestly believed that they would do that. And with, with Superman and Lois, I think it's going to just, just be diminishing returns. I don't think that they have a plan going forward. I don't think they know where these characters end up. Um, I, I think they are just having fun. I would have disagreed with you. Um, if the show had ended on episode 12. But yeah. there was no reason for these last three episodes. There was really no reason for this one. Um, I'm going to say spoilers right now. You might want to cut it in back because we touched on a couple of things. But like, I didn't need to see the kid who plays Jordan trying to play an old man. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do it well. <laughs> the, the you know the stupidity of the voice changing effect irked me more with that combination <laughs> of characters than with any previous ones they've done because i'm like yeah it was pretty bad like i can buy that a 16 year old kid can shoot fire from his eyes i can buy that he can suddenly fly i can buy that his anxiety disorder turns on and off on a whim but i cannot buy that that kid has suddenly gone through enough of puberty that his voice is that deep he's so baby-faced too that's part of it he's just such so a is, kid no, but, but so is uh malfoyel like he's this yeah. cherubic you know weird weird choice <laughs> in a show that is mostly excellently cast um <laughs> how many rotations around the sun have you had your house <laughs> I, I, I think that these three episodes exist so that we could get the fan service of watching superman and john henry irons come together to work together against a bigger threat 
which the geek in me who fell back in love with Superman comics during the death of era um, really appreciated. Like I enjoy, I know that you had some issues with it and then like reminiscing about the good old days where, you know, you would murder banning children and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, but, but like looking at this as a fan, looking at this, not as someone who gives a crap about writing or, or consistency because like consistency went out the window the second they decided that they couldn't figure out what xk was doing or not right like yeah there's 85 better ways they could have written the plot of this season i think you and i confidently probably articulated a good 40 of those over the course of the <laughs> um, any of those would have been better choices even our picks for things that we didn't want to see happen because they'd be catastrophically dumb would have been better than some of what we got, but it was still entertaining. It was super well acted. Everybody involved like acted their hearts out and well with the exception of Jordan playing, you know, Malfoy L. Um, it was beautifully shot it was wonderfully visualized the special effects are if if i didn't know that it was a cw show and you told me it was a cw show i wouldn't believe you it was that good um on a on a special effects front um at a certain point i just have to accept that i'm not going to get a superman tv show or a superman movie that is quality and fun yeah. Well, I, I actually second. I second. Superman Returns was quality, but it wasn't fun. Man of Steel was fun, but it wasn't quality. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and well, no, I, 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 well, I think I agree with you on Superman Returns, but we don't need to jump into the Man of Steel debate so much because um, my contractual obligation for that has has run up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but. Uh, but also I want to, I want to second what you were saying about the show. The special effects are good. The acting, they, 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 they acted the heart out of it. Uh, the cinematography was great. And I think I have to think that, uh, the average viewer, and I don't mean this to be like, well, you're just an average, you're not an erudite intellectual like me, but I mean, the average viewer, the, the, the person watching it, um, from a broad spectrum is going to enjoy it because it is easy to gloss over some of the things that irk me so much. Um, and there's, there's a certain reason why I stick to it and, and raise these issues because um, it's important, I think, to make people think about things that they perhaps hadn't considered about story. And people have complimented and thanked me for bringing things like that to attention, their attention and helping them think more about story. But also because um, I've been making stories myself for uh, you know two decades and it's uh it's very very hard to impress me because i've seen every trick in the book and i know how it's done and i see when it's done competently and i see when it's done incompetently and i've seen when it's been done in a middling way and this isn't abhorrent or terrible this is just not to the standard of what would be entertaining for me. A one for me might be a three for you or for most folks. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I'm better. It means I'm a grizzled old fart. 
Um, it means that I've actually kind of immersed myself in story so much I might be blind to certain things, and I'm perfectly aware with that and content with that because that's me. Um, but the reason I bring all of this up is because um, I think that there is a value to looking at things closely and with analysis like that. Um, but I don't think that the success of a thing hinges on whether it impresses a person like me. I think it, 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 it uh, hinges on whether it impresses the broad general audience. And everything that I'm reading is that um, most people really love it. It's the best Superman show other people have seen. And most people just watch it for raw entertainment, look yeah, past the bad stuff, and are having a really great time. It's the best Superman show you've ever seen. <laughs> and this is, this is- Yes. So I was thinking about this after our conversation earlier, why it's so hard to do a quality Superman show. The reason that Superman Returns is quality is because Superman Returns doesn't really have stakes, right? Superman yes. is not a movie about Lex Luthor's plot to create more real estate for himself, um, even though that's part of the plot. Superman Returns is a movie about what about Superman as isolated from humanity. It's about what Superman... I also see it... As a requiem and a mourning for Christopher Reeve. I think that entire movie is like this, this man, this character is dead and here he is wandering around the wreckage of what happened after he's gone. Yeah. And I think that that's the big subtext that no one really wants to talk about because it's just so sad and bleak. It's like Superman flying around. Oh, look, Lois no longer needs me anymore. Oh, my mom got along without me. You know, the world doesn't need Superman. Yeah. And the, the oh, actually he does. It's just kind of tacked on at the end. Right. And so I think the reason that most Superman media veers towards fun rather than quality and I would argue that if that was the goal of Superman and Lois, then it succeeded. And the reason why so much deconstruction material that references Superman, like Invincible and like The Boys and like Watchmen and everybody else that's kind of lampooned the character in some way tells a better story is the good Superman stories are the ones where the writers don't try to create conflict for Superman. That is a power struggle. They create a most yes. conflict for him. Correct. And nobody wants to watch 15 hours of Superman wrestling with angst. Well, you know, that's one of the reasons that's what the, I think the biggest misstep the show has made is because the show is a Superman show, but ostensibly at the beginning, it was not at all about Superman. It was about Smallville and it was about a family. Agreed. And now it's a Superman show where all of these characters that were established as the actual show are now side characters in Superman's story and they become part of the plot wheel and their arcs don't matter anymore. Right. All they are there to do is service where Superman needs them to be. And, and the problem is, is the second you start making a Superman show that is about conflict, that is about, you know, I used to say my big criticism of the Christopher Reeve movies and my big criticism of Superman Returns. And I mean, the fandom echoed this after Superman Returns came out. 
and so did I. And in hindsight, I was wrong. I think that Superman Returns is a part, like it has its errors, but its errors aren't the fault of the writers. Its errors are the fault of what happens anytime you try to write physical conflict for a character that is basically Hercules is the second you start trying to create conflict for this character that is stakes driven, you have to start making stupid choices and excuses for how you're doing it. Well, you don't have to, but they do because well, but it's to. it's hard to keep track of all of these properties of the things that can negatively affect it, Superman, so they just throw it out the window. Was it Byrne or Morrison who said, how can you write conflict for a character who can blow out the sun? Well, that's... Uh, as much as I respect both of those men, I think that's a rather extraordinarily naive statement. Because the way that you create conflict for someone who is who can blow out the sun is you do the work. No, but, um, and and that sounds that sounds glib, but it's but, true. But the you sit down and you do the writing. No, but the audience doesn't stick around for that. So like the way you well you no you you can do it in a way that's compelling. Yeah, you can do it in a way that's compelling if you do the work. And they did for the first few episodes of the season. Yes, but ultimately, yeah, that's my point. Yeah, but yeah, but ultimately they didn't believe and they're probably right they didn't believe that there was a big enough market to do a multi-season arc out of superman friday night lights i think i you know we don't know we don't know what they thought but my guess would be it was a combination of a couple of factors they had this great original arc and idea ground Superman in Smallville and make his supporting cast very strong and some, someone whose stories you want to hear. And they had the problems with COVID um, and they had three extra episodes tacked on. And I'm sure they got it greenlit on the strength of the story. And then the meddling began and yeah. it was like, well, yeah, no, you know, we, the big, we need the big fight. We need the super villains. Come on. We need the razzmatazz. Give me the razzmatazz. You know, and it's probably not that reductive. It was probably more nuanced than that. But the inexorable slide toward the LCD, oh, let's, let's, you know, like, though we've established all these Kryptonian weapons, let's have them beat on each other with fists. Um, that hap that doesn't happen because of bad intentions. I think we discussed this um, with, um, with Trevor. Um, the... They all have good intentions, I'm sure, and they're all doing their absolute best. But if you try and make Dawson's Creek, or no, Dawson's Creek is a bad no, example. That's a good small town story. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Well, I'm using Dawson. I say Dawson's Creek is a bad example because I never watched it. But um, like a good small town story is incredibly compelling. And they had the way to distance Superman, and they kind of did it first. You have Superman do his action if you've got to do that part in Metropolis. And the stuff that happens in Smallville is all almost unrelated. All the emotional beats are there. And you could have separated it and you could have done, oh, look, the toy man came to town in the same thing where you're like, oh, man, uh, you know, like uh, Jonathan drank and now um, he crashed the car and, and Jordan helped him hide it. And here's Sarah being like, do I help them because they're like my dad or do I turn them in because I know they'll become like my dad? Yeah. You know, like there are stakes like that that you can build in. And that's a really bad example. But but that's the kind of thing that if they had kept it like that, which they initially did, um, 
It would have, it would have, um, it would have had more emotional character resonance for me. But and I know that's not what everybody is looking yeah, for, but. but ultimately you're dealing with two factors that I think went out. And again, I just want to be clear for those that are listening. Once I decided to just kind of go, all right, historically Superman in any media have not been fantastic stories, but I love this character. So I'm going to enjoy it. I enjoyed it, right? Like this finale for what it was at the end of a season that was what it was, was entertaining to me. But we were, we were wrestling, or the show is wrestling with two truths, which is the demographic of the CW is a demographic that allowed for 15 seasons of Supernatural. <laughs> Right. And, and was it 10 or 11 with Smallville? I can't remember. It was 10 with Smallville. And felt like 20. Is, isn't going to watch the small town. Like, they're just not. And I don't think the CW has the confidence that they could have used it to draw in a different demo. They know who their audience is. And they wanted a show that would keep their audience watching instead of going to another network. And they weren't concerned about bringing in new viewers. Okay. So that's the, I think, I think, well, can I, let me respond to that briefly if I can, then you go to two. I think that you are right in that. I think they believe that. And I think most people believe that they have to do that. Yeah. I am more of the mind. If you build it, they will come. And I think I can cite examples. Um, I won't cite a, cite many, but like you look at a lot of a lot of TV stations that or, or companies for that matter, because they don't do really TV stations anymore. It's more like the AMC brand or the FX brand or you know whatever. Um, that were jokes that did schlocky bad television and just existed, and then they started I, doing I TV. A perfect example of that. People take, what's that? I can people take Cinemax seriously now. Yes. Yeah. And it was the thing that you would watch scrambled in the eighties because you wanted to see, uh, you know, um, I guess, um, Tila, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, hold on, hold on. The, 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 example, yeah. the reason that happened. And I mean, for those who aren't old enough to remember Cinemax used to jokingly be called by everyone Skinemax. And it was something that yeah. your, like 60 year old uncle had on his giant 80 foot satellite dish out in the country. And you watched it while your parents were out fishing. Um, and in the mid or late 2000s, early 2010s, I can't remember. Um, they released a show called Banshee and Banshee was so good it won emmys especially for like set design and uh action choreography and 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 it has to this date one of the coolest most well shot uh single take long shots this side of the first season of true detective or the daredevil fight scene um and all of a sudden that made Cinemax, a network like FX or the others that could do quality TV, right? Like you can have a lightning in a bottle moment, but nobody expects it. Right? Yes. Well, that's you, you can know that nobody expects it is the naked actor time relative to good plot and acting time in the first season of Banshee is roughly 50 50. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's 
but see the so that's 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 kind of the point I'm driving at is that that they had this opportunity here and they were leaning into it and they just decided, eh, we'll go with the same thing, which is what Smallville did too. Yeah, but that's the safe choice. And so I don't blame them for that. And the second thing that we were contending with is you're right. The only way to really do the show the way that that would have paid off what those first four or five episodes or the first four episodes gave us would have been if all of the Superman stuff happened in Metropolis and all of the quality family drama stuff happened in Smallville. And the truth is, is when you're doing a show on the CW's budget and you've got as much talent behind the camera and in previs and everything else that they obviously have, you just can't afford to spend that much time in Metropolis. Yeah. Yeah, well, or, you know, you'd have to do what Smallville did and make it one street, but I don't know. I suppose going back a little bit. You made the point last week, I can't remember in your review or in the podcast, that the reason the military is still there is because they can only afford to do one set. Yeah, yeah. Or if, or they could, yeah, well, and there were cheaper ways to do it, too. It was weird. Or I think it was also because they wanted to show that the, they upped the stakes with the soldiers and they knew that was coming, so they had to you know, oh, sorry. Tread, tread water. But, there was a second mm-hmm. plot hole in your review, Neil Bailey. Do I have to call my... One friend? second. Okay. I will cue, yeah, I will cue you for that in a minute, but I do want to go back to one thing you said. You said that, um, that they made the safe choice and um, that you're okay with that. Yeah. That's fine. There's no wrong opinion Um, as much as we joke about right and wrong. I think the reason I'm not comfortable with that is because, um, and and, and I'm probably wrong because behold behold my kingdom of uh, muscle and blood and dirt and and nothing, you know, like of like (laughs) 10 10 readers and, and, and a very small Patreon and no major success to speak of. Behold that, right, as a factor. But I have uh, I have always believed that it is better to fail utterly and take a risk and do a thing that is challenging or do a thing that is difficult than it is to go with the safe choice. And I have to believe that while there is profit and while there is continued subsistence as an actor, as a writer, as a director, as a cinematographer – in going with the flow. And certainly I know many people who have made their, made their money on that. Um, Oh, look up in the sky. I'm being called. Um, but there are certainly people who have made their nut and their money on, um, on that. And there's nothing absolutely. And let me be clear. That's not a wrong or a bad choice, but my particular bias is that I think the easy way is the sure way to be relegated to the dustbin. And the hard way is also the sure way to be relegated to the dustbin. But also at the end of the day, you can, you can know that, that you didn't phone it in and you can do that while in extraordinary debt. And you can do that while, while um, fighting all the people who want the LCD. Um, And, and to be clear, that's not, that's not what I'm saying you're doing. Um, uh, Because this is not LCD. This is a good show. But I mean, like, like uh, it's very clear that the internet wants um, the 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 idiocracy out my balls, um, and there's a very small select group of people who want character-driven stories whose um, yeah, conflicts. No, but I don't even buy that because the most lauded shows of the last 
four or five years are consistently on either Netflix or HBO or FX. And what all of those have in common is they're not driven by ratings, they're driven by subscribers. And well, yes, if, yes. If net subscriber count goes up after they launch something, they consider that that thing was a success. If net subscriber count or engagement on their channel or platform goes down, they consider it a failure. And so because that model exists, we got Watchmen and we got Lovecraft Country, and we got Big Little Lies, and right. or Little Fires Everywhere, um, which are all these quality things that could not exist on network TV because network TV is about paying the mortgage. Well, right. And that's, well, that's my point. When I say, if you build it, they will come. It is my, it is my belief. But if you look, <clears throat> as much as we both agree that that's the way that television should go, and that's the way that the best television is, um, it's also a very, very small portion of everything that's out there for every breaking bad. You have five real housewives of Pawtucket for every, um, for every leftovers, you have 18 superhero shows that are on the plot wheel that are terrible. Um, and people just find their lane and go with it. And that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with, with it necessarily. All I'm pointing out is, and all I'm kind of asserting is that um, my ethic is that the smart choice and the right choice is not necessarily the easy choice, though I will acknowledge that the easy choice is more profitable and often more entertaining because you know every what? Marvel movie is essentially the same, and I love them to death. And you know what? There are fantastic examples of network TV that are super entertaining and super quality. And I mean, I'm thinking stuff like House, which was on what? Five? Yeah. Well, see, House House is a special. House is special because it had the Smallville Metropolis split, like Superman and Lois did. It had the section that was dedicated to House's character, which has a clear broad continuing arc and then you had the freak of the week if you will which was usually pretty compelling and the reason it was compelling was not necessarily it, that it was lupus or not lupus it was the way that we got to see how it reflected every single illness that is shown in that show and the good doctor reflects some facet of house's personality that he's grappling with or of um of uh oh my god i forget the name of the main character in, in good doctor even though i've been watching that lately because i'm um you know well, getting up there but more importantly though house comes from a different pedigree right house wasn't an original creation house is no houses houses Sherlock yeah, yeah, House is Sherlock Holmes. Holmes, so, House, Watson, Wilson. Yeah, and so Irene Adler's the first case. Right, and so the character beats had been laid out for over a century for them. They just had to change. The yes, name, right. Like, yes, and well, and there's there's a unique element of um of that it's he's even more. All, I I don't know if he's more of a misanthrope than Holmes, but. He's now, just now you put you put Gregory House up against Cumberbatch's homes and Cumberbatch <laughs> makes House look like a cheery optimist by comparison. Yeah, I suppose it depends on if you're talking about the 1800s or the 2000s. But also also the thing about House that's refreshing is that it's 
it's a risky show in that it could never be made now in that he says things that are just awful and bigoted and terrible. And it's just kind of understood that he's joking and he doesn't mean it. And he's working through pain. Yeah. Um, and he's being sarcastic to teach. He's it's he's the character in Whiplash in, 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 in a sense. Oh, like you I, think I, I, that that's a character in Whiplash is evil. J.K. Oh, see, okay. All right, you just l- thrown down the gauntlet, and now we have to have a Whiplash episode, but let's save that for another time, because okay. th- I have lots of thoughts about Whiplash. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, going back to the show at hand... Yes. What I've decided is this is the best this show could have possibly been, given all of the factors, and the best this show could have possibly get been was the best Superman live action media I've seen <clears throat> full stop. It wasn't the one I enjoyed the most and that will forever be Superman two with Christopher Reeve and the three Kryptonians and Terrence Stamp and all that wonderful stuff. But I recognize that that's primarily nostalgia and this does things with Superman that are better than what that movie does with Superman. And so- I think, I think we now agree. Yeah. Given the factors involved. Yes. And so, and so all things being equal, I sit down and I watch this finale and I've got five or six moments that stuck out as just being especially dumb, but overall I was entertained and I'm looking forward to next season, except, and I want to talk about this and you talked about it in your review, the cliffhanger the artificial tension that they created in the ending of this episode was quite possibly the dumbest possible ending they could have gone with. Well, it's very unfortunate for a couple of reasons, but there's also another angle that I thought of before we even started this podcast. There's not only the, why would she be sad to see a daughter, uh, her daughter, or see someone else reunited with their daughter? And someone someone um, mentioned it might be trepidation, and it might have been that at the end of a bad episode, I was just so, so keyed up for that that I saw it. But also, if it can be read that way, there are people who are going to read it that way. Um, so there's a little bit of both going on there. But the idea that um, optically, you know, like... You look on the, you look at it from the perspective of say the anti wokes often Snyder bro right wing like I'm gonna look at through this through the lens of if Tila puts on pants it's the end of my world um, are going to see the addition of another young black female positive character and see Lois scowling and gain fuel from that and that's the last thing that anybody needs. Yeah, so for me the thing that bothers me isn't any of the subtext involved it's what that ending says about what the writers think is compelling drama and what they've tipped off is that the compelling drama of next season is going to be natalie doesn't understand that this isn't really her mom and lois is not going to understand that this is not really her long-lost daughter and that's dumb drama. Like I, I, Well, it's dumb also because, at least as depicted so far, Lois and Clark are mature parents, and there's no reason that Lois can't be her mother. Right. You don't have to have a sexual or romantic relationship between two partners to be a parent and right. a good parent. Yeah, and so, that's and it's almost like oh no, that and what they're they're queuing up the tension. I can see it. They're like doing the like I can't stay here uh, because I'm in love with you. Crap. Yeah. Um, and they're doing the the thing like where Lois is going to 
I worry that that's what they're going to farm, but I'm also really, really excited to see Natalie as part of the show. And I hope they bring in the other Nat as well. Yeah. And that we have, we have more characters to bounce emotional dilemmas off of instead of plot wheel soap yeah, opera. Yeah, but emotional dilemmas aren't so resolved. Uh, sorry. We started dating three weeks ago, but I've been in love with you yeah. since the moment I saw you. Like... I miss I misspoke. Not emotional dilemmas. I mean, uh, conflicts that spring from the character that have a, a, that have a true emotional impact, as opposed sure. to plot wheel soap opera. John, Marsha, I saw you in the door and I turned away. Stuff. Yeah. Um, you had a plot. You had a plot. Uh, uh, a plot hole for my review. I did. I did. So this is going to make you angry. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes me angry. I'm a sunny man. No, no. This is going to make you angry because this is what the writers of this episode meant for us to understand, and it's so intensely stupid that I feel like somebody's cousin must have come up with the idea and the producer said, go with this or you're fired. But in your review, you say that they never explained why Superman couldn't find Jordan because he was still on Earth. But they did, Neil Bailey. Oh, did they? He was in the, he was in the parrot cage, wasn't he? He couldn't find Jordan because Jordan wasn't Jordan anymore. <laughs> the power of love. Power love. No, yeah. seriously, that's the implication was that he couldn't find Jordan because Jordan was now um, Malfoy L. Well, you know, it, it's weird because and he only found if you had just found, he only found Jordan when Malfoy L's consciousness receded and he allowed Jordan to come forward. Well, if they hadn't done that one scene where he heard the the, the the robbery in Mexico and was there in 10 seconds. Yeah. You know, this is one of the things like there's a beat that is wonderful in uh, in, in uh, Rucka's run on adventures where Superman hears the gunshot going toward Lois Lane halfway across the world. And he just boom is there. And there is great drama in that. And I still to this day entirely don't know if I agree with, with what that does to Superman as a character. But the good thing about Superman as a character is it, it kind of all resets with every character who takes them. You get to define what his parameters are, and as long as you stick to them, people are okay. Can he sneeze the moon apart? Fine. All right. He can't? Oh, he has to use a breather in space? Okay. As long as you don't set your parameters and then give the wrong expectation, or give these expectations and then kick the legs out, which is what they do here. Yeah. They're like, if he, can, if he can hear everything, he can hear everything. If he can only hear certain things when he's focusing, no, no, fine. No, but he's like sitting there. No, but he can still hear everything. It's just he can't hear Jordan because Jordan's only there when his consciousness <laughs> is in the front. I guess. I don't know. It's that super soul vision, I guess. No, but that's, I think, <sighs> I genuinely think that's what they were going for. They could have just easily gone like uh, they're in the Phantom Zone. Or like they flew to Mars or, you know, but they, they kind of show him too in the clouds and they do the Jordan. And he's like, yeah, dad. It's like Russ. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. So, so that, that whole plot was stupid. Um, the, we're going to, we're going to be dealing with at least one more season of Morgan Edge because despite the fact that Edge had been eradicated, <laughs> He got uneradicated, and he's now Edge again, and and he just wanted a brother, Neil. Yeah, and you know, I if they uh, follow the comics, and this one, I would actually, 
I would probably, well, this is what they, they, they're almost going to have to do. They're going to do the thing like, oh, I was totally under the control of these Kryptonian influences. Oh, I had no control over what I was doing. Give me the planet back. <laughs> yeah. He bought his way back. Yeah. yeah. Edge, Edge is going to be this show's version of, if you're a Doctor Who fan, the master, or if you are a... Um, a uh, Holmes fan, Moriarty. He's going to be this emotionally entwined, always there, ever-present villain who turns out to be behind every conflict, no matter how the conflict starts. Yes, and then for one season, he's going to become an ally, and the whole thing is going to be, oh, why don't you trust me? I did one good thing. Why don't you trust me, Kal-El? Yeah. yeah. I, so, so that... That like Lionel Luthor did. Others, <laughs> um, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that the uh, multinational conglomerate did not because <laughs> Lois Brownstone. Oh, they showed the WordPress blog, Julia. They showed her typing in the WordPress blog. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> oh god, like it, it's. You know, the, the entire of Smallville, the entirety of Smallville, if they were reading this thing, would not have the audience of the Superman homepage. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so that was special. Um, like, I just there's stuff I loved in this episode, and again, it's all the the visual beats. I liked the fight. I liked the little camaraderie moments between Superman and John Henry Irons. I loved loved Jonathan hearing the plan and going, "Wait, that's the plan." Um, <laughs> yeah, was- after they involved the kid in the media. Oh man, I'm gonna get started. Don't get me started. I would have loved it more if I hadn't seen that exact same scene in uh, Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You know, is that's the Spider-Man, Iron Man, Star-Lord conversation. Yeah, kind of. But it occurs to me, like I was, I was lamenting how critically underused Sarah was given her potential as a character and given that actress's clear ability. And I'm just sitting there like, like, of all the kids that you would bring into the battle plan, why wouldn't you get the one that can cut to the core of every issue in an, in an instant and solve problems better than the adults in her life? Yeah. Instead, you bring Jonathan, who can't even handle his booze. <laughs> you know, like, like, he can't even handle a couple of drinks. You get a couple of drinks in him, I bet hey, you, you know, he'll... He... Listen, he, he confidencied right up in this episode. He was... He... <laughs> yeah. He was that gun during the power of love sequence. He was. Yeah. Uh, he, oh my God. Like, with the broken arm, shooting yeah. the gun with the broken arm. I'm, uh, I'm bitterly disappointed that I was wrong and he never got powers. We never had our brother V brother moment, really. I mean, kind of, but we didn't really have it. Uh, God, what a what a hacky way to organize that scene! What a ridiculous, especially since it's not that hard. Yeah. You know, you just have it coincidentally happen. You know, they're like, "We're going to go solve this problem," and then they send Jordan for Lois because Superman is distracted and she has this doohickey. You know, yeah. or Sam Lane's there and it's like, "Here, take the doohickey." You know, like it's a testament to how unreliable genre TV has been for most of my life that I was tempted to bump this up to a four just because this episode remembered that last week 
Sam Lane and Jonathan were in a car crash? Yeah, kinda. <laughs> like, like they don't go to like, like what Sam Lane? He's got to be sixty, fifty-five. Yeah. You know, charitably, he's fifty-five years old. He's been in an octuple rollover accident. Yeah. And and all of these people get out without so much as a scratch or any internal bleeding. Um, and Sarah's Sarah, I it's just so hacky. It's you know, so hacky. You know, I, like there there are a lot of dumb things in this episode. I only have one question to round off this season. Oh man, I may not have the answer to this. We'll see. So Leslie Lar. Yes. Interaction moment with John Henry Irons. Where she basically confirms what I've been saying for the last four weeks, which is what's happening here with the XK and the consciousnesses is exactly what happened on John Henry Irons' Earth, and that Superman was just possessed by a different Kryptonian, probably Zod. But how does Leslie Lard know about any of that? Did she get into the murder van and watch the tape? Like, I don't understand. She has that line where she says, you're going to fail again, which means she knows exactly who John is, where he comes from, what he went through, what the plot was in his alternate. How? Uh, no, 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 no. You've misread the entire scene, Julian. <laughs> the thing is, Leslie Lar is evil and John Henry is good, right? And both Leslie Lar and John Henry have climbed the social ladder rather dramatically. Leslie Lar is grossly successful despite being one note, not very effective, and a little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, she gives away the game an awful lot, you know, like she's just like, she's an exposition device almost. Uh, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't think she was an exposition device and actually thought that she was an actual person, which is, you know, part of this premise, I would think that there was something in her past that, 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 um, led her to have a false sense of learned helplessness, helplessness and competency. And so here's, here's what it was. Uh, John Henry was just a master at MIT he has like four or five degrees in varying things, probably like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, engineering, uh, metallurgy, uh, uh, MIG, TIG welding. You know, he, he can he can weld underwater. He, he is clearly um, a, a smith. He went to smith classes. But he is also um, a, a, an incredible construction worker. Um, and what happened was, he uh, he was just trying to decide what his sixth degree would be, and he went into um, a, a, he he did a survey of human relations. He did assume uh, a a, um, a survey of uh, being a board member. He thought about maybe running a business, and in one of those, he was just acing his tests to be like a, a, a great. Uh, uh, manager at, at a corporate um, behemoth, like like the one that Edge is at. Except he decided this is oh, this is not for me. I'm not going to work for the man. A what? National conglomerate. Yeah, a multinational conglomerate. Right, the one that tried to buy the um, the, the Smallville paper. Uh, coincidentally, yeah. Um, but it was foiled. Um, it was foiled. Um, it, they were going to make the offer earlier, but uh, someone um, some parrot crapped on the. Um, <laughs> on the editor making the offer and it went really poorly. They got fired for the bad public face it gave the company. But anyway, so he's taking this test. 
and he's acing it. Um, and he, um, he gets this tingle in the back of his head. It's almost like a spider sense, but it's more like a steel sense. Um, and, uh, sure enough, he, um, turns around and he sees, uh, Leslie Lar, and she's copying him. <laughs> she's copying his test. Right. And, um, so he just, he's like, I'm not going to finish this course anyway. So he just starts answering wrong. It's like, what do you do when your employer has an evil plan? And John Henry writes, you immediately tell his antagonists and the people who are working with him. And she writes that down dutifully and she believes it. Right. The really weird part though, is that um, like Leslie Lahr at this point is in the earth where Morgan edge succeeds. But unfortunately Morgan edge is the teacher in this class. And so he sees Leslie Lahr copying and he fires her for getting the wrong answers because she's just stupid and so she, she, you know, sneaks in at night, gets the Kryptonian powers from this Morgan Edge, just as kind of like vengeance. And then when she sees the plot going on and she's so mad that she's not a part of it, she sees a chance for a fresh start. So she clings to John Henry's ship tenaciously and flies to, um, to the other universe and immediately ingratiates herself to Morgan Edge by pointing out that she too is a Kryptonian because it's never established how Leslie Lar and Morgan Edge connect. But I've just revealed that secret. We could make no. a YouTube video, no. the real truth behind Leslie Lar and Morgan Edge. Were you not paying attention? They yeah, sure. When? When? The person who becomes Leslie Lar was a Smallville resident. They found her in one of the yearbooks, remember? Like, she was uh, somebody who graduated from Smallville High, and she was just the first one that Morgan Edge successfully implanted. Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that you are forgetting that... She followed John Henry across multiple survey classes, and one of those was yearbook. So can I can I offer two competing theories to yours that are much simpler and far more likely to be the truth? Uh, if you want to be wrong. All right, all right. I'll give you the more, more I'll give you the more outlandish one second. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the first one is that prior to the events of the last three superfluous episodes. Leslie Lahr saw Morgan Edge using the, for the man who has everything, Joffrey crown on Clark and was like, that's a fantastic idea. And while she was off screen and we were wondering what the heck had happened to her, she was actually running around and just fulfilling her life's ambition to really know people by kidnapping randoms off the street, popping that crown on their heads and play acting through their memories and thoughts and deepest desires. And one of those people just happened to be John Henry Irons. That's reasonable. Okay. But the, the real question is once she popped it on the parrot lady, why she never told Edge that that was the person that, that crapped right. on him. But like it may be some kind of irrational resentment for being fired in the alternate universe. Here's my, here's my second and less likely answer to the question of how she knew. Les mm -hmm. Lamar, in a rare moment, remembered that she had super hearing. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's, that's too Occam's razor for me. That's too simple. That's too simple. 
So I, I feel I should backtrack for a brief moment and explain the joke that I just made because I realized that Saturday Night Live from 1975 might be a bit back for folks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, do you remember? You, you caught the reference, Jane? You ignorant slut. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then perhaps you could explain it to people to say to to to, um, oh, to explain that I was. It was, it was your error to use that phrasing in this, the year 20 and 21. <laughs> so, well, that's why I used it, because it would be so shocking. Yeah. But um, but I don't mean it at all. It is essentially a bit that was in 1975 where they had uh, point-counterpoint between Dan Aykroyd and who was it? Uh, it was, um, oh, God. It wasn't Gilda Radner. But there was this, this ferociously talented woman who gives this really cogent argument on Saturday Night Live, like the one that you gave me, yeah. that, that makes absolute sense. And then Dan Aykroyd, playing the misogynist nutty guy, immediately turns to her after she lays out this great argument, as I recall, and goes, Jane, you ignorant slut! Um, you know, which is like, like the whole way misogyny works. Yeah, it was Jane Curtin. Dane Curtin, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. F uh, f f fudge. It's right there in the name. You see what I almost did there? Um, I didn't, though. Uh, yeah, it's right there in the name. Jane, you ignorant slut. Jane Curtin. Um, and it it's stuck with beat. me because it was like, what's that? It's a great beat, and it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's a great beat, and it works because it's showing what a moronic person the person who says that is. But, um, yeah, I've been holding that one all season. I've been waiting my, uh, holding my uh, Jane, you ignorant slut for you for a while um, because because uh, I had to get revenge for the uh, Lex Luthor wrong. Uh, but I think I think we have both mutually agreed before the podcast began that our actual go to is going to be um, uh, don't make me call my daddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we disagree with each other. Yeah. <laughs> don't make me do from now on, when Neil and I disagree with each other, it will be signified by Neil. Do I have to call your daddy? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's like, what were they trying to do to Lois there? I don't know. I get, well, I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to show that she was emotionally distraught, but they're really leaning heavily on that. Speaking of misogyny, they're really leaning heavily on Lois is completely emotional. Anytime a desperate problem occurs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and, and that irks me. So the, the writer that left at the beginning of the season amidst concerns about racial representation and other things was yeah. really right. Um, but I believe that she thought the show was going to be other than what it was as well. And like us, she was entirely wrong in that. Um, I'm going to finish. Well, the there were some, well, I, I'm going to pause you because there were some really bad optic moments, yes. but I don't think that they were intentional. I don't think any of them were intentional. Um, yeah. I think that she yeah. she is I, I don't know if she's referring to those moments of optics that I cited. Um, but I think that um, I think that this show does have a problem with uh, with the whole, you know, like um, with trying at times trying too hard to be woke and then missing the easy tee up. And um, it's I shouldn't even use and I'm going to take that back. I'm not going to say trying too hard to be woke because I don't think woke is a thing and I'm not going to support that terminology. But it's trying it's trying too hard to be um to be in the right when it comes to the racial politics and the sexual politics um in a way that is almost more performative is that a fair way to put it yeah yeah no that's yeah. fair um so yeah i'm going to i'm going to end this season off by saying i i came out of it 
more disappointed than I thought I was going to be, but I'm still excited for season two. This is still far and away the best live media representation of Superman we've got. It's not the best um, televised version of Superman we've ever got. I think that's still the animated Superman series from the 90s. Um, but it's the best live action Superman we've ever gotten, I think. And Tyler Hecklin's version of the character is indelibly my favorite version of this character. Like, to me, he's Superman. I'm, I'm here for more of him playing that role. I still like Reeve more. I don't know if it's the best live action Superman we've ever had. I think it's the best live TV show we've ever had. Uh, I think that, um, I think that there's still a lot of potential in this show. Like the one line from my review said, <laughs> I think that if they pick up, if they pick up the hammer and do the work, if they forge it and if don't just keep relying on the plot wheel, some solar flare rays. Yes. And, and the honest thing that may bring me back to reviewing, if I do it, which I'll think about all summer or the two months until it starts again, because who knows how long that'll be. But uh, the thing that would bring me back is the fact that um, while Smallville kind of squandered it, you have a lot of a chance, like they were limited to that one storyline here. They can reforge, restart, refocus yeah. And ideally, without the limitations that COVID put upon it or the limitations of the pressure of the first season of a show, not that they're already renewed, they can come out of the gate strong. They can bring it back to formula. They don't have to tack on these extra three episodes. And when it was those last couple of episodes that were the actual finale and not the tacked on network style finale, like yeah. Smallville used yeah. to do, the show was still riding high. If we ended this thing at, uh, at 12, yeah. Um, I would be a lot more optimistic for this show. And so if we forget it, like we forgot the bad middling episodes in the center of the season, um, there's a lot of potential here, but it's, I got to weigh a lot. Yeah. No, that's fair. All right. So next week we're going to do something. We know not yet what, but it'll be fun. It will probably not be um, uh, whiplash. We're not going to. No, that'll be a while. That'll be a while. Yeah. We are going to be back in a couple of weeks with the boys to do a season retrospective. We found a uh, new podcasting tool that will allow us to all be in the same room at the same time while we record. So we can uh, yep. put in the chat at the same time. Um, and we are going to be doing at some point in the next couple of weeks, uh, our comparison of Superman Doomsday and the death of Superman animated features, which should be fun because those are both great. Yep. Uh, but yeah, we got Superman three to throw in there. If we want to redo the Superman three a little bit, yeah. we got lots of stuff that we can, uh, broach. We'll probably do like, I don't know, some Superman, some broader pop culture. Um, and we may not be weekly. We may be bi-weekly. It all depends. Just keep an eye out. We'll put it out there. Uh, the show is going to continue at least, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. And we'll, uh, We'll draw about Superman-related things, and uh, maybe uh, as, as uh, more Superman and Lois stuff leaks out, uh, we can uh, debate the merits of reviewing more. Yeah. So. But for now, thanks very much, everyone, for hanging with us for these, uh, these 15 weeks of Superman and Lois with a couple of extraneous episodes. Uh, yes. thanks, for, thanks for tuning in during our four-part retrospective of the Snyder Cut and not uh, seeking the Lynn Cut. <laughs> Uh, and uh, have an absolutely super rest of summer. Yeah, I hope you all do well, and uh, I'll catch you in a week or two. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Goodbye.
Well, hey there, all you super cat coes and kittens. I'm not going to ask you to like or subscribe or add us on Facebook or Twitter because, frankly, I just don't care. Julian might, but you'd have to ask him. I am, however, an independent writer of novels, comics, and reviews. I don't get paid for that, and I've been doing it steadily for 21 years. If you like what I do, and if you can, your support would mean a world of difference in my life. I have a website where you can find my books, neilbailey.com with an A in the Neil, N-E-A-L, not an I, and I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive early access to everything I do along with free copies of all my books and comics along with every new book and comic I make as they come out for the price of a coffee. Get yourself on over to www.patreon.com slash neilbailey and tell them Neil sent you. Thanks for listening.